Go ahead and find Isaiah chapter 26. We did the first four, four verses. Hey, Jonathan, will you do me a favor? Can you grab Daddy a water? I had one and I forgot to bring it up here. Thank you, sir. We did the first four verses two weeks ago. <clears throat> We're not going to get too much further tonight. There's just a lot in here, but we I think we can make it through about verse 12. So verses 5 through 12. And um, where we left off at, we were talking about uh, singing a song in Judah there and, and just the picture of Christ's salvation there. We, we were talking about the bringing in of the millennial kingdom, how they were delivered out of the tribulation period into the millennial kingdom of Christ. Um, and, and then we have this verses here that were telling us about um, being kept in perfect peace because our mind is stayed on God. Um, and the and the beautiful part of putting our trust in the Lord. Thank you so much. I appreciate your help. Thank you. <clears throat> and uh, I think we all sought comfort. I think that scripture came to us in our study at a good time, didn't it? Um, verse 3 there, Thou will keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. And then we got through verse 4 there, Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. And so we were talking about putting our trust in the Lord, uh, but this chapter specifically dealing with Israel, learning to trust the Lord, putting their trust in the Lord. And then that brings us into verse 5. So I'm going to start here in verse 5 and I'll read through verse 12. I want you to keep in your mind as I'm reading this, uh, the two things, Israel, keep the nation of Israel in your mind as I read through this, and also um, the millennial kingdom of Christ. So if you keep those in perspective as I read this, uh, I think it'll help shed light on the circumstances around the scripture. So starting here in verse 5, uh, Isaiah 26, starting in verse 5, the scripture reads this, For he bringeth down them that dwell on high... The lofty city, he layeth it low, he layeth it low even to the ground. He bringeth it even to the dust. The foot shall tread it down, even the feet of the poor, and the steps of the needy. The way of the just is uprightness, thou most upright dost weigh the path of the just. Yea, in the way of thy judgments, O Lord, have we waited for thee? The desire of our soul is to thy name and to thy remembrance of thee. With my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early. For when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Let favor be showed to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness will he deal unjustly, and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Lord, when thy hand is lifted up, they will not see, but they shall see and be ashamed, for their envy at the people, yea, the fire of thine enemies shall devour them. Lord, Thou will ordain peace for us, for Thou also has wrought all our works in us. Amen. Powerful scripture there. A couple things that I would 
And I haven't done it yet myself, so I can do it right along with you. But a couple of things that we can underline here. Uh, let's look at this, starting in verse 7. The way of the just is uprightness. That's a good one. Key point of the chapter, I would say. I like this, this in verse 8. We waited for thee. One of the, one of the uh, I should say, virtues of the upright is that we wait on God. Amen? Uh, here's another one. The desire of our soul. We don't just wait on God, but we desire God. Amen? Here's another one remembrance of thee it's good to remember our god amen if more people were living every day in remembrance of what god had done for them especially in christ saving our souls they'd be at church and on wednesday nights on sunday mornings because they're living with a constant attitude of gratitude if you will i don't mean to do a play on words with that but you know, you should have an attitude of gratitude towards the fact that Jesus saved you from hell. Amen? Uh, I've, there was one preacher, I don't remember who said it, maybe Adrian Rogers or something, I don't know. I don't, I don't quote a lot of preachers because, um, you know, I, I just shy away from it most of the time. And I think he said something along the lines of, I have a hard time believing your faith can get you to heaven if it can't even get you to church. <laughs> I said, wow, that's an amen, amen? We need to live in remembrance of what the Lord has done for us. Um, so desire, I think that was an important one. Here's another one in verse 9. With my spirit within me will I seek thee. So the way of the just is upright. An upright person waits on God, desires God, remembers God seeks God. These are all showing up to us in this chapter here. You see that? Verse 9 also tells us this. Wait, hold on. I lost my spot there. No, that might have been the five I wanted to point out, right? The way of the just is upright. We wait on God. We desire God. We remember God. We seek God. Yep, so there's five things that jump out to us. So let's just kind of go back through starting in verse 5 here. For he bringeth down them that dwell on high. He bringeth down them that dwell on high. Well, who is who is he and, and who is he bringing down? Well, we're talking about Christ. He's coming to the millennial kingdom. He's come back to earth for judgment. So he's bringing down, the, this is a picture of Christ bringing down those nations that are gathered around Jerusalem, right? So the battle of Armageddon, Christ is going to avenge Israel against all the enemies of God, right? So um, that's kind of what the picture is. But I'll give you this, so maybe even a twofold application of this prophecy, because sometimes you'll see this in Scripture. God defended Israel against what Babylon did to him. So that lofty city of Babylon, that's already fallen. Amen. I do believe this points to messianic prophecy of jesus christ's second return literally to earth to avenge 
But sometimes what God does in His Word is He uses something that happens in the tribulation with Babylon to show an even greater spiritual truth that's coming later. It's like Him saying, if I did this, why do you doubt that I'm going to do that, which I've told you I'm going to do, right? Um, If He could have delivered... Judah, out of the grip of Babylon at the end of the 70-year captivity, he sh- and, and Babylon f- had fallen to Persia. Remember, we've kind of started on that prophecy in our Daniel study. And so that's, it showed us that some of that has already happened. This points to uh, the Messianic pro- uh, prophecy. So here we see the prophecy of the salvation and grace brought to us by Jesus Christ. I want to give you this. 1 Peter 1.10, you can write that down. 1 Peter 1.10, I like this. It says this, of which salvation the prophets, who were studying here, have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Amen. God was giving us... Through the prophets, God was given the prophets prophecies concerning Jesus Christ, concerning the first coming, the second coming. And there was things concerning grace and salvation and things like that that they knew what they were, they knew the implications of what they were saying. They just weren't, they did not have the comprehension of how God was going to go about it. And so they searched and they searched diligently and they and they sought after God to reveal these truths to them. And, uh, and that's why Paul talks about how, how much of a blessing it is that he didn't reveal that to them. He waited and revealed the church age to Paul. And now we have that revelation. How blessed are we that we've been given the Bible and all the revelations concerning God's whole plan the whole time. Um, so amazing thing. So we see this here. We see the salvation of Christ to the Jews. Um, and I think it's kind of an amazing thing. But So let's just kind of go back through it. So in verse 5, He bringeth down them that dwell on high, the lofty city, He layeth it low. Those who have exalted themselves against God will be laid low by Christ when He comes. He layeth it low even to the ground. He bringeth it even to the dust. Key word on that. We're going to see this in our Daniel study. Christ is the smiting stone. And He crushes them. And He pounds them in. You know, He's going to pound them into the dust. And uh, we'll get into that later in Daniel. But... Um, that's what Christ is going to do. Um, the foot shall tread it down, even the feet of the poor. That's a and the steps of the needy. That's that's a that's an interesting thing. So the feet of the poor shall tread it down. Um, I want to give you this tonight. The only way their feet, the feet of these poor people, the feet of these needy people. The only way that those feet are going to be involved in treading down any one of Israel's enemies or God's enemies is going to be if they are walking with God Himself. Consider that. So, oftentimes, God's people uh, are downplayed by the world, degraded by the world, downcasted by the world, and some would say that we're poor and beggarly in our ways. Um, and I think some of us would even consider ourselves, because we understand who we're compared to, which is Jesus Christ, we are just beggars, aren't we? 
we're not worth much, even if we think we have much. It's it's all the what value we have is the value that God has given us. Amen. I think most of us would agree with that statement. Um, but here we find the poor and the needy walking with God. Isn't that an amazing thing? So the high and mighty may not waste their time walking with these people of the earth that they don't value very much, but God values us enough to walk with us. Amen. So I thought that was I thought that was a blessing um, that we can walk with God. Um, that we find in verse six. In verse seven, we find this: the way of the just is uprightness. Let me give you this tonight. It is the endeavor of the just to walk with God, and to walk with God is to walk uprightly. Amen. It's our endeavor to walk with God. And not just to walk with God, but to walk uprightly. Because you can't walk, not walk uprightly and walk with God at the same time. The Bible says this, can two walk together lest they be agreed? Amen. If your walk is not in agreement with the word of God, then you're not walking with God. Amen. If you're walking like the world, you're not walking with him because the friendship of the world is enmity with God. And a friend of the world is God's enemy. And that's scripture whether we like it or not. So if you're going to walk with God, you're going to have to do it upright. Verse 8, I thought, was interesting as well. Yea, in the way of thy judgments, O Lord, have we waited for thee. The desire of our soul is to thy name and to the remembrance of thee. It is the duty of the just and upright to wait on God. Amen. Part of that walking with God sometimes requires us to wait on God. And waiting on God sometimes requires us to do that in the most difficult of times. Usually the waiting on God process involves circumstances that we may not find so desirable, right? Um, if we're waiting on God, it could be in a night season, it could be during some kind of trial or tribulation in our own life. And it's something that we're not liking to go through. It's something that's not comfortable. It may bring about sorrow or it may bring about pain. There may be something that's um, not pleasant about that. But then we're waiting on God. And in that waiting process, God is strengthening our faith. And then when he brings us through that situation and he's answered that prayer and he's um, done what whatever it is that we needed from him to help strengthen us then we look back in hindsight and we say man i can't believe i ever doubted him to begin with right we, you know he, he has a way of doing that so it is our duty to wait on god it is one of the characteristics of a just person and an upright person and somebody that walks with god Sometimes requires waiting on God. Then we see this. We see a desire for God. When I thought about that word, desire, it made me ask, why do not more people that call themselves Christian act like they have a desire for God anymore? Amen? Am I the only one that feels that way? Does it seem like some people's desire is faded away? Like, don't you want to serve God anymore? 
The desire of our soul is to thy name. You know what happens? People are spoiled and they have it too good and they get too comfortable. And they don't need God as much in that season of life. And so they've got desires for other things. But then when that tragedy comes back around or that hard season of life comes back around, then all of a sudden they feel the need for God again. That's a true statement, but I'm thankful for this. God always welcomes us back. That's when we deserve for Him to say, Oh, now you want to come back, huh? What happened? Things didn't go your way? But He doesn't do that to us, does He? He says, Welcome back, my child. He comforts us. He embraces us. And as a church, that's what we're to do. As, as parents or grandparents, that's what we do with our own families, right? I want to welcome mine back in when they're ready to come back home. Amen? And, uh, but, and, and the church ought to do the same. You know, welcome, welcome them back in and help, help brush them off like God does to us and say, all right, let's pick it up. Let's carry on. Let's forget about the past and press forward, right? I'm thankful for that. Uh, but here we see a desire. We need to have a desire for God. Um, the upright person that walks with God has a desire for God. The desire is for his name. We know that we have a name that's above all other names, and that's Jesus Christ. A desire to bring glory to his name as we sung tonight. So that's what we're seeking to do. Magnify his name, um, exalt his name, bring glory to his name. Our troubles do not turn us away from God, but increases our desire for God. And so there's an interesting point, and we see that take place with Israel. We can kind of apply that in our lives. Sometimes we do get a little too comfortable, and we, do, we get away from God, and then troubles come, and then God uses those troubles to bring us right back to where we're supposed to be, with God. <laughs> Amen? God knows what He's doing, doesn't He? He can, he can corral us back in with the, with the merciful hand, or he can allow us to suffer some trouble and tribulation sometimes and bring us back in. But our troubles do not turn us away from God. They increase our desire for God. And sometimes God does that on purpose because he sees that our desires are starting to fall into a wrong place and he's just reigniting that flame to get us back where we need to be with him. Um, I like this in verse 9. With my soul... Have I desired thee in the night? Yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early. For when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Um, again, this a lot of this is dealing with the messianic kingdom. The fact that Jesus Christ will be on earth and he'll be judging righteously in all the world. You know, people, you know, those that haven't been destroyed yet, those that will see the judge, the judgments of Christ. Just like when Christ was teaching the Jews before, they're going to realize their whole way of looking at things isn't the way Jesus looks at things. Amen? Uh, and they're going to be like, whoa, didn't see that coming. But also, I want to point out three things that we find in verse 9 about our desire for God. So we've established in verse 8 that we should have a desire for God. Here's three things about our desire for God. Our desire should be inward within us it should be inside of us we should have something in us desiring god if we have no desire in our heart for god 
that's a problem, and that's something that we need to address. Our desire for God should be fervent. In other words, um, we need to be willing to persevere. It needs to be there needs to be fervency in that, perseverance in it. And third, our desire for God should be sincere. So we need an inward, fervent, sincere desire for God. That's what we want. If anyone here tonight or that will listen into the podcast doesn't feel that they have that inward, fervent, sincere desire for God, or maybe they're just lacking for whatever reason, pray, Lord, help set my soul afire, Lord. Set my soul afire, just like the hymn that we sing. Um, Lord, give me the strength. Um, reignite this fervency in me. Um, and, and, and that in its, by itself is a prayer that comes from sincerity. Um, verse 10, this is, uh, gets interesting here. Let favor be showed to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness. I take that in context. If you're looking at the timetable of this prophecy involving the Messianic kingdom, I look at verse 10 to be an example of the dispensation of the grace of God as it falls in place around the timetable of Christ's return on earth. Let me explain that statement. Right now, we live in the dispensation of the grace of God. As a result of that, millions and billions of people who are lost in sin and dead in sin, who are wicked, and they're, they're being given the opportunity... To repent. God is in fact showing favor because they're not receiving what they deserve right this second. And yet, while many of us have accepted the, uh, the gospel and have accepted Christ as Savior, it seems like as we look all around us, He's giving mercy to the wicked, and but He will not learn righteousness. God's given them every chance and they just, I don't want any, I don't want nothing to do with it. I don't need that Bible. I don't need your church. I don't need no preacher knocking on my door and telling me anything about it. Get on out of here. That's how we're treated, right? But God's let them wake up every morning, breathe air, go to work, provide for family. God's made sure that they got food in their belly and clothes on their back. That's God showing favor to the wicked. Because we don't deserve anything from Him. And so I look at this dispensation of grace in that context of, you know, He's showing favor to the wicked, yet will He not learn righteousness. In the land of upright of uprightness will He deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Now, many would tell me not to shy away from there is some examples in the Bible because there are people on earth when Christ comes back that have survived that tribulation period, and now Christ is on earth, they haven't died yet, and so therefore there's a, there's a capacity of certain men that even during the millennial kingdom of Christ to sin and to do unjustly and to do unrighteously, and, they, and there's judgments in the Bible that deal with that, and we don't have time for me to go down that road tonight with you, um, but some would say that you have to acknowledge the fact that even when Christ comes the second time, even when he's sitting on the throne in Jerusalem, even when his righteous judgments are spreading through the earth, even with all the blessing of the millennial kingdom, there's still going to be people against God that won't repent. Isn't that amazing? 
I don't know how, but the Bible tells us that's what's going to happen. Um, I know that we're going to get raptured out of here. When he comes back for that second time around, we're going to be with him. We're his armies. We get to see all this take place. It's going to be amazing. But that's, that's what it's talking about. And then in verse 11, we see a people that did not see, who would not learn, all of a sudden, now their eyes are opened, but they're ashamed. Isn't that, isn't that a thought? That's a heavy truth. Is that not the world today? They won't open their eyes to see Christ. They won't open their eyes to the truth of the Scripture. They won't repent. They won't accept Christ as Savior. They're disinterested in church. They're disinterested in the Bible. They've got better things to do. This isn't important. But one day Christ's hand's going to be lifted up. In fact, you could even make the argument his hands already are lifted up. He was already lifted up and crucified on the cross. Still nothing. Doesn't mean anything to anybody. They will not see. But then one day they shall see. But then they'll be ashamed. The man that lives his whole life on this earth pushing away the Bible, pushing away God, pushing away the Gospel, pushing away the preacher, not wanting to do, have anything to do with it, one day stands before God at His judgment and he's ashamed. But those of us that confess Jesus before men, Jesus said, I, I will confess them before the Father and they will not be ashamed. If you've accepted Christ today, we're not going to be ashamed. Amen. Um, we find here in the Bible, right here in our scripture, the wicked perish. But then verse 12. As the wicked are perishing, as the judgments of Christ are coming about on earth, as the unjust are ashamed of their actions, as because the, the scriptures tell us that the judgments of Christ during the millennial kingdom, we'll put to shame those that were against him. As all that's happening, verse 12, Lord, thou will ordain peace for us. Why? Because we've accepted Christ as our Savior. And he made peace with God through the blood of his cross. And we have peace with God because we believe on what he did for us on that cross. And we believe that he was resurrected. And so, Lord, thou will ordain peace for us, for thou also has wrought all our works in us. And I love that statement too at the end. The works that we're doing for God, they're His works. And He's doing them in us. Amen? They're His works. He wrought those works in us. It just shows that even the very works that we do for God in our life as Christians, we don't do on our own. We do through the Holy Spirit. His equipping and Him doing the work through us. And what we're to do is to seek Him, diligently seek Him, we seek Him, uh, we follow after Him, we, we seek after righteousness, we wait on Him, we put those things into motion, we wait patiently, we trust in the Lord, and He'll, He'll take care of us from there. Amen. That's our study for tonight. Let's pray. Father, I thank You, Lord, for this evening. Thank You for getting us all together again in church for our midweek service. Thank you for those who come down. Lord, I know that many of us have long days, long work schedules, all kinds of things going on, and it, we get tired and everything else. But Lord, it's a blessing to be in your house tonight. 
and uh, and to soak in your word and to lift all these prayer needs up to you, Lord. We thank you for meeting with us tonight, and it's been a good service. And uh, thank you for the Bible lesson, Lord. We have so much to look forward to, but most of all, we're thankful that you've ordained peace for us, Lord, because we've made you our Savior, and we trust in you, and we're waiting on you tonight, Lord. We know the day's coming where you're going to come back and rapture us, Lord, and we want everyone that we know and love to be ready for that when it happens, and we look around with urgency and we see many are not. And the scriptures that we read tonight stand out to us because of that. Lord, we wish that they would learn uprightness and learn of your judgments and turn from their ways and seek after you before it's too late. And God, so we pray this for all those that we care about tonight. Lord, help us use these truths as we go out of here this evening and and to live a life that shows your mercy and grace to those around us that others would come to know Jesus before it's too late, Lord. Use us this week. Keep everyone safe and healthy. Heal those that have been sick. Lift every burden. Help us meet again this upcoming Lord's Day in your church, Lord. We're thankful for it. In Jesus' name, amen.